We're workplace caregiver advocates, and we provide practical and inspirational training for working caregivers through the companies they work for. I'm Debbie Howard, and I'm a caregiver advocate, a market researcher, and a yoga enthusiast. I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm a gerontologist who has worked in global healthcare for over 20 years, launching both pharmaceuticals and devices for adults, as well as being a caregiver for my family as well. I'm Tanya Krim, market researcher, gerontologist, caregiver, long distance, because my parents are in London. I'm also a coffee and chocolate lover. Our mission at Caregiver Camp's podcast is to expand the boundaries of thinking around where and how companies can support their caregiving employees. We hope you enjoy this episode today. I'm Tanya Krim, your host for this episode of Corporate Caregiver Camp podcast, and I'm here today with our guest, Jamie Dukovna a lawyer at Becker and Polyakov, specializing in business litigation with an emphasis on employment law. And I don't know um, if Jamie knows, but I'm actually the granddaughter of a lawyer, so I'm particularly happy to be speaking to one. (laughs) So Jamie, welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the time. Um, I'm just going to introduce our audience um, so they know a little bit about you. Jamie focuses her practice on business litigation with an emphasis on employment law and commercial matters, as well as condominium and homeowner association law. She has extensive experience representing employers in various aspects of employment law and litigation, including litigating claims for wrongful termination, harassment, discrimination, retaliation, claims brought under the American with Disabilities Act, including claims brought for employers who are sued for alleged non-compliant properties, the Family Medical Leave Act, the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, and wage violations. So she's obviously extremely busy. And in addition, she is responsible for dealing with severance agreements. She also does company-wide policy creation and implementation, employee investigations, discipline and termination, hiring, background checks, unemployment compensation issues, and employment contracts. So welcome again. We're thrilled to have you. The topic for today is working caregivers and the changing nature of employment law. And first of all, I always like to ask how they got to where they got. So what, Jamie, triggered your first interest in employment law? Just very quickly. So I, like most lawyers, sort of just fell into it. I was working with an attorney and he thought it was a good idea to start doing employment law. And I was very young and only been practicing maybe for a year or two. I thought, hey, why not? And 20 years later, it's still what I do. I I really love it because I think it's relatable. People get it. If you have a job or if you own a company and you employ people, you get it because you deal with it. It's real world stuff. And that's what I like. Yeah, I, I t- it's funny actually that you got into this by chance because I got into what I do by chance as well. I think you know serendipity is a good thing, um, but exactly to your point, employment law is incredibly relatable to everyone wherever you work. So just very quickly, I know we're going to focus because you're particularly interested to me because we're in a COVID world and employment law is an evolving thing. We imagine I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say I, I will you'll tell us about it. But as you think about the world of pre-COVID employment law. Just wondering whether there were any kind of issues that were kind of bubbling up to the surface then. And then we're going to talk about what's going on now. So share with us, if you will, what was going on, if you can remember before this awful pandemic started. Right. I think, you know, the operative phrase that you just said, if you can remember, it's so hard to remember what were were we doing before 2020 (laughs) in this pandemic, because it's really upended everything that we know. And interesting, it, it, it all 
also hinged upon things we already knew. I mean, so, you know, OSHA and having a safe workplace has, has always been an issue, but it was brought to the forefront when you, when you had, you know, COVID and what do you do? How do you make the workplace safe? Hinging upon things about, you know, religious freedoms and, you know, confidentiality regarding medical information and those sorts of things really weren't being addressed all the time, but just became a lot more prevalent, you know, during the pandemic. So I'd say, I mean, pre, pre-pandemic, I mean, some of the things, I mean, you know, wage issues have always been hot button top, topic. I mean, you know, you had the, you know, outgoing president and the incoming president who have very different views, employment, very different, you know, secretaries of labor who had very, um, different thoughts about what the incoming organization was going to do. So, you know, things that we were looking at, you know, um, how independent contractors were classified, you know, because under Trump, his policies were just very different. They were more pro-business. And then you come to a Biden administration. So those were, you know, at least what I remember focusing on, I think the last interview I maybe did for um, a press piece had to do with independent contractors, which just, like I said, feels like a lifetime ago. It's it's just not something you're talking about right now. Yeah. It's just such a relief to know that I'm not the only one who has like a pre-COVID, post-COVID kind of frame of mind. So we, I guess we'll agree that it's 2021 and it's a very different world than we were previously used to. The world in which, believe it or not, employees were commuting daily to something. Um, we're not all doing that. And to what extent, if at all, do you feel that employment law really has to evolve now more than ever to fit to, fit, to accommodate today's new world and its employees' new reality? For me, it's really this mind shift that is going on in the workplace. It is so drastically different. You had, I would say, some companies that were more forward thinking, a little bit more flexible. Also, even in the mindset of the employee, you know, what will my employer agree to? What won't my employer agree to? And a lot of what I'll call kind of preconceived notions about how things need to work and and how they can work. And what was so fascinating about COVID is, for example, businesses that really didn't believe in remote work were forced into remote work. And a lot of them started off with these very real strong beliefs that if an employee is working remotely, he or she is not working at all. And it was fascinating because anyone who's worked remotely, me and myself included, would tell you, you actually work a lot harder. And so you started seeing a lot of these negative aspects that I think, you know, on the one hand, employers and some employees felt, you know, listen, this is a good thing that people are now working remotely. It's a little bit more flexible. But then you started seeing this lack of defined spaces where pre-COVID you have people commuting. And so when you're in your home, you're not really responding to emails. You're not really tuned in. You go to work, you're working, you're tuned out of what's going on at home and then commute back and there's these separation of spaces and then remote work, there's no separation. And then also, I mean, businesses didn't shut down. And so you had all these other employers that had employees that were forced to go to work day one. And then how do you protect them and how do you make them safe? And so there were a lot of these issues that, you know, some of it we knew how to deal with, even though I had clients who called me in a panic and they were like, what do we do? 
for me, it was really, well, let's just take a step back. You know, some of the things we know what to do because the laws really hasn't had to evolve to deal with this as being such a unique set of circumstances that we don't know what to do. You know, we know what to do. We just haven't seen it, you know, particular to COVID-19. I think that shift has really been fascinating. One of the more fascinating things that I saw was actually a post of now that we're sort of talking about, although I think we're kind of going in phases um, to try to get back to normal. And I don't know if we'll ever do that, but we'll see. But an interesting shift because it's really what all this is. It's like sort of all this flexibility and fluidity of what to do and how to react to it. But a post and it must have been by an employee because it was really, you know, from the employee perspective, but I found it interesting nonetheless, you know, where employers are talking about remote work as being a perk that you can negotiate. And the employee said, well, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You forced me to do remote so I could keep your business afloat during the height of the pandemic. And now it's a perk I have to negotiate for. Yeah, it's wow. so it, it's it's so interesting, Jamie, because you're talking to somebody who is proud to say that in the 90s, I was working in a big New York ad agency and I had the most incredible boss whose name was Debbie. And to this day, like, I'm so grateful to her because I arrived with one kid, was working four days a week. And she had the vision that she wanted to keep me. So when I had my second kid, I was allowed to do three days in the office. And exactly. And then when I had my last kid, it was two days in the office and the rest from home. And this remote thing, exactly what you said, I worked harder to prove that I was worth keeping and that I was producing. So, you know, something they were kind of 20 years behind me or the world is, but I'm so pleased that they're catching up. Do you think it's going to continue to evolve? And if so, why? And if not, why not? So I think it will continue to evolve just because we don't know what's coming. And I don't think anybody envisioned at the end of the first quarter in 2021 that by now, third quarter, that we wouldn't be back to the office and sort of back to business as usual. And Delta kind of upended that. Mm. And this idea that we were going to go back to the workspace, really, I, you know, I think you have to be a little bit fluid in terms of how you think about it, just because we're pretty sure we, we know what's here and then something else happens and then you have to reassess. And so I think the more that you're forced to be fluid and the more you're forced to pivot and reassess, I think the more accepting you become that what you knew is normal may not be the new normal going forward. It may have to look a little different. And by the way, it's okay. Right. Businesses are not going to fall apart. Employees are not going to stop working forever. You know, people will go back to the workspace. It may look a little different, but I think that's a good thing. And I think it will work. And ultimately when your employees are happy, it's good for business. Yeah. I'm pleased you said that, and I I couldn't agree more. It's interesting. I think one of the things that COVID has revealed to us is a lot about people. That is about employers, employees, specifically in the workplace. And I think that for many of us, it's really reinforced that we don't all have the same stories. We don't all have the same situations and lives can be very complicated, regardless of life stage you're at. So how do you feel? I mean, you must have spoken to, you said earlier, you know, you'd spoken to clients. So I don't know if they're employers or employees, I guess they could be both. How do you feel that this whole COVID thing has shone a light on the need to adjust 
employee situations. If we're talking about from an employee perspective, clearly employers have had to pivot big time. So if you can talk a little about that, please. Yeah, no, and I do both. I mean, I predominantly represent employers, but I do represent employees as well. So I do see it on both sides. I think from my perspective, do they want the same things? I guess, yes. You know, on some level, you know, people do crave some sort of stability and what that looks like may look different to one person than somebody else. I think the fact that employers have been forced to reassess things and they've seen that in spite of what their, whether it's an unconscious bias or bias that they're clearly aware of that exists, they've seen that just because they have these ideas about how things need to work, that they can work a little differently and still work the right way. I think for employees, it's really figuring out what makes sense. I mean, we saw a huge shift in, you know, the great resignation. Yes, I was going to talk to you about that. Go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, and even one of my colleagues had, had written about it, And it's, you know, it's really fascinating. There was even an article that was really relevant to what I do, lawyers, female lawyers in particular, that during the pandemic, it sort of highlighted all the things you hated about your job and just decided I've had enough. I I don't want to do this anymore. I need to do something different. And so, you know, from my perspective, it's, well, do these people really need to, to leave this space? Do you have to leave what you're doing in order, you know, to stay in the workforce, assuming that's what you want to do? And I don't think the answer is no. I don't think you have to leave the workspace. You may not be in the right workspace for you, but I think you have to find something. Does it make sense for you, for example, to stay remote, to have some sort of hybrid schedule? Maybe the answer is yes. And if the answer is yes, does that work for your employer? And I think for a lot of jobs, a lot of positions, the answer is yes. Maybe not for all, you know, but they certainly. do say, yeah, acquisition's more expensive than retention, right? So if you can make it work with Jane, who's been there for 10 years, you may want to figure out how to make Jane stay. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's so yeah. true. And the reality is when you you as an employer are more receptive and open to figuring out what makes sense and, and how it can work for both sides, I think ultimately you create a situation where both sides at the end of the day are happier and more committed to each other because employees, when you feel that your employer listens to you, that they not only listen to you, they they really hear you and understand what your experiences are and what you're willing to do as a commitment to the company and then vice versa. What is the company willing to do to commit to you that not always, but I find that a lot of times that you find a much better relationship and people who are willing to stick around in the long term and invest in the business because they feel that you invested in them. I mean, that's kind of speaking about human nature. And it's almost ironic that COVID has revealed like a depth of, of human nature. And when you talked about the great resignation, which is something I definitely did want to address with you. So I'm pleased that you raised it. The US has an ever-growing number of working caregivers, as I'm sure you know. I think the number is something like 53 million, um, many of whom are working in corporations, which are now confronting this great resignation and they're scrambling to figure out how to have people stay. And a lot of them are very stressed because they are doing what I call the work-life caregiving integration process struggle. I'm not even calling it a juggling act because I don't think it is. I think it's about making it become an integration story. And we all know 
I think we've learned, especially during COVID, that it's not a one-size-fits-all situation with caregiving. So how do you feel as an employment lawyer that adapted employment hours and tailor-made agreements rather than this generic standard at-will contract thing and leave could be used by corporate leaders going forward to engage, support, and retain valued working caregivers. And if you can, if you can focus particularly on the elderly, because I know I appreciate working moms, I've been a working mom, but I think we've covered a lot of ground with working moms already. If we can focus on either the sandwich generation who are working moms dealing with elderly parents and or just the older people who are dealing with, you know, parents in their 70s and 80s and 90s, And that's like a big story also. Oh, it is. And, you know, to some extent, they really impact the worker and the workplace in the same way. It's just different. You know, your kid may have issues with school and pick up and drop off and those sorts of things. But with elderly parents that you're taking care of, they could need you at any time of the day. You know, something could happen. They need to go to the doctors. You want to be there because you want to make sure that they're getting the care that they need. And from my viewpoint, I think that this is something that employers need to face. It's a reality. I mean, you are unlikely to encounter a workforce where people don't have work issues and family issues, and they don't always stay separated. Sometimes one impacts the other. And I think if you have one understanding that people have things that they are going through that may impact them at work. And again, if you are receptive to working with them to figure out something that makes sense for everybody, having this idea of flexibility is something that I think makes sense. You know, so it may not necessarily look like you envisioned it. For example, person who works nine to five, they clock in, they never clock out. But okay, well, listen, if you need to work a little different hours to get everything done because you are taking care of family members, maybe your ailing parents who need you to help them. And you, by the way, you're the only person who can do it, maybe because you live there. Or maybe because your siblings aren't bothering or maybe because they they just relate better to you. Who knows? Yeah. Right. And and I think if, you know, if you're honest about it, I mean, not every employer is going to be flexible. And sometimes I think that's unfortunate. And you may need to find an employer that is, especially if you know what your circumstances are. But I think in any in any situation, there is room for flexibility. There is room to find something that makes sense for both people. I mean, and I think at the root of all of it is this idea that it can't be so rigid. It can't be so set in stone because when it is, it really doesn't work for anybody because employees, if your family needs you, well, listen, you may miss days of work. Okay, well, now I not need to start missing all of these days. And now your employer feels that you're unreliable. And maybe all you need is a few hours and you can clock back in. Mm-hmm. Well, it may not look like what you envisioned it, but aren't you still getting exactly what you need? Yeah. I mean, I think both people are. So it's something that makes sense as long as you're a little bit flexible to it and receptive and open to it. So have you been crafting what I'm calling, I think what your colleague had referred to as tailor-made agreements rather than standard at-will agreements? Is that kind of like the hot and sexy thing now in employment law? Like, talk to me about that. (laughs) I don't know if it is that, but I certainly 
think that is something that really is great because it lays out and sets out expectations on the front end. At will is a, a lot. I mean, it's really at, at its heart, it's flexibility for both sides that either side can leave the relationship at any time and for any reason. You know, if it's not working for you, you leave. regardless of whether you're the employer or the employee. With an agreement, a lot of times you're not really stepping outside of the at-will aspect of it, but you're more sort of laying down, well, I'm aware of what your policies and procedures are, and that's all fine and well, whatever your handbook says, but I need something that's unique to me. I need something that speaks to me and what my situation is. And then from, you know, the employer's perspective, does this work for you? Because at the end of the day, it has to work for both sides. I mean, so I I think that these agreements are great. They make sense. You can also have it without these agreements because you certainly could have an understanding put in place. The one thing that, you know, I think about from the employee's perspective is, well, what if next week I have a different supervisor right. than the week is, before? Is it so? Is it safer from a legal standpoint for the employee? And I'm talking, you know, the working caregiver. And let's again talk about the ones dealing with the elderly to have written down. You know, I'm taking care of elderly ailing parents. I may need to, you know, if I run out one week because there's an emergency and I'm out from one to five, but I work from home from six to ten, that's okay. Or as long as I produce my work, what, what what's the kind of tip? Typical look. I'm sure there's nothing typical, but what are the kinds of examples of a tailor-made agreement that could be useful for a working caregiver and for corporations to know would be relevant and resonate with these working caregivers? I don't think you can account for every single situation, but there may be certain things which are given that you know on the front end. For example, every month my parents have a standard appointment with a doctor. I know that every Second Monday of the month, I need to go for their doctor's appointment. I'm going to be there, but I can also log back in as soon as I'm done. So my workday may look a little different, but as long as I ultimately work the number of hours that you expect from me, then fine. Mm -hmm. You know, also flexible work schedules, not even just in having the ability to you know, leave for a few hours here and there. Sometimes, I mean, listen, we know that flexible work weeks work. We know that like what you were saying, I mean, sort of coming full circle, you can work a four day work week. And in in so many respects, you're a lot more productive than somebody who's doing it in five, because you know, I've got four days to get everything done that I need to get done this week. I don't have the luxury of the fifth day. But there's also the well-being, the kind of the gratitude to the employer. I remember feeling it's like you kind of almost give more because you just want them to be so happy that they've allowed you. You feel you appreciate the privilege is what I think I'm saying. No, I agree with you. I mean, you know, and that's one of the things that to me has really been highlighted about the pandemic. And maybe it was something that we were talking about before, but not really like we're talking about now, but the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. I was was coming to that. You're the best interviewee because I don't need to ask all the questions. I was going to say, what are some of the key benefits of this modified employment law situation? Yeah. I mean, because stress, anxiety, burnout, they are real. They exist. I mean, it's, crazy to think that some people don't even know when they've reached the point of no return until they've got to such a bad space that they're not able to function. And if you avoid that on the front end, I think you're a lot better off. I mean, and and think about it 
know, from the employee perspective, if I have these expectations that are laid out that I know what you expect from me and vice versa, I know what I need to do. Well, that's one less stressor that you have to worry about, that you have to think about. It doesn't matter who your supervisor is because, hey, we've set these expectations on the front end. And now I can deal with these other things, which are stressing nonetheless, but you don't have to worry about what if I get fired because I didn't work the hours I was supposed to work? Well, what if I get passed over for a promotion because I only work four days, not five? And from the employer perspective, I think you also have to show these employees that if you've given them a remote schedule, a flexible schedule, a flexible work week, that you also reward them just the same, you know, that you don't create these two classes of employees, one who is here every day, one who works five days a week, one who does all these things, and that person gets promoted while the person who works four days, it's almost like we've allowed you to work here and that's privilege in and of itself, but that you are treated just the same. And so you get promoted and you get pay raises and bonuses based on what you are doing for the company, what value you are bringing to the table and not really viewed from the beginning at the outset is, oh, well, she or he works from home. So they're a little different. Do you think that, I mean, are you seeing that employers are kind of including that in some of their legal work now, like ensuring maybe that managers, you know, I'm particularly aware of it because of the working caregiver thing. The working caregivers are usually older, let's say late 40s, 50s. I hate to be general, but let's just call it out. There are some younger ones also, but, you know, older parents usually have their kids in their 40s and 50s taking care of them. Are you beginning to see that the younger managers, and let's face it, some of them can be 30 and not dealing with this, so very unaware of the complexities of the whole caregiving story. Are you seeing companies begin to train the managers and kind of require them to attend training, which I don't want to just say acclimates them, but sensitizes them to the issues. Whereas, you know, the 32-year-old may think, oh, why is she running out again to take care of her sick mom? I'm pissed off. You know, I'm left with all the work work kind of thing. Um, Is that something you're seeing as well? I think you hit the nail on the head because that's what exactly what it is. It's training. You know, you have to train them. I mean, from my perspective, I think a lot of where this starts is, and it may seem weird or maybe not intuitive, but I think it starts with mental health training for your managers because they need to understand in real terms, what are the stressors that you need to look for from your employees? How do you relate to them? And so for, you know, you in that example, you know, your 30-year-old manager that has maybe an employee that's in their 50s and they're taking care of parents that are in their 70s or 80s, they need to understand that that's a real stressor for them, that that creates anxiety, that, you know, what are you doing to help them to be able to be productive in the workspace, but in the same time, understand that these other stressors aren't going away for them. So what, what are the things that you can do? I mean, and there are things which are so simple. I mean, glad that employers are taking stock. I mean, that you have companies like Nike that are giving their employees a mental health week. You yeah, know, I love that. Just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. great. Let them check out, let them take care of the things that they need to take care of without really having to worry about the other stressors. And that, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but there are a lot of what I call low hanging fruits of things that you can do. You know, you can create a policy and train your management 
from my perspective, those are really super easy. All businesses can do. And you create those policies, you put them in place. And how hard is it for a manager to check in with an employee and ask, how are you? So are you, are you, are you kind of helping to craft policies, which include manager training and is there employee training? I mean, do you, are you involved in training employees to ask for what they need in a way that is, I guess, legally acceptable? Uh, although that that seems to be an evolving space. So I don't know what legally yeah. acceptable means today. Could yeah, be something I mean, different next week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, I mean, you always have to be, I guess, cognizant of, of how these issues may come about, you know, and what people are willing to talk about and what people are willing to say. Not everyone is, is there going to be a really good advocate for themselves. I mean, some people just don't feel comfortable advocating and asking for what they need. Sort of like suffering in silence. My perspective, I think, especially when I represent employees, I always say, why not ask? If you're coming from the place and your default is my employer is not going to allow this. And I always say, well, have you asked? And it's like this light bulb goes off. I mean, should I ask? I said, well, what what is the worst that you can hear? No. Isn't it already no? So what? So you hear a no a second time, but what if you hear a yes? You're never going to know unless you ask. And from my perspective, I also look at what do you have to lose? I mean, how many employers are really going to fire you because you're asking for something that you need And incidentally, this may not be forever. Fortunate and sad as it is. I mean, we all know as humans that humans die. That's a reality. We know that from the time we're born that at some point we are no longer going to be here. And so for the, you know, the employee that may need help right now because they're taking care of their parents. Well, in 20 years from now, is that still going to be true? It may not. It may look very different. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of corporations that are coming to you, are are there any of them or many of them or some of them coming to you and asking for your input into policy adaptation to accommodate working caregivers? Because it's just such a big thing now. I mean, especially with the aging population, I think we're about, I hate numbers, but we're, it's over 47 million caregivers taking care of elderly. So that's why I'm, you know, I'm very cognizant of that one. No, it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, and so you think about it in in your own organization, you're like, well, if those are the numbers globally, I mean, how many of those employees are- That's in the US, 47 million in the US, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so it's how many of those are in your workforce? Probably a lot. Have you ever surveyed your your workforce to know that? I mean, a lot of times you don't even know that until somebody speaks up and says something. You know, so I think with employers- From my perspective, a lot of them don't always deal with it on the forefront and globally. It's usually something that's happening behind the scenes. You know, so a lot of times with HR, an employee comes to them, says that they need this, or an employee goes to a manager, then it goes to HR, and then, you know, sort of goes up the food chain, if you will. And, you know, what are the policies that are in place look like? And sometimes for me, clients don't come to me until they have a specific situation and they say, I have this situation. And then I usually start with, well, what do your current policies say? And do you want to revise your policies to be more accommodating to, to the workspace, to the, to the people who work there. And it'll probably save HR a lot of time. Like you don't want to be going through it with, you know, 600 separate people. If you've got it written down and you can just say these 10 go into this category, these 10 in that, it's like, 
it should be more seamless and faster, I would imagine. Well, it is. And there are a lot of things that are analogous, you know, like an analogy. You can, you know, say, well, you know, look at what we do here for these employees when they need help. I mean, you know, to me, one of the most basic things is, you know, if it's a bigger employer, they have the FMLA. And although the FMLA is a serious medical condition, we still know how it operates. I mean, and so what have we done to adapt around that as employers and as employees? Mm-hmm. It gives them, you know, time off of work to take care of those things. But what happens when people are out of the workspace? And so uh, it may not be a direct analogy. It is still something that we can relate to that you say, well, okay, here's what we do here. Well, what can we do in these other kinds of situations? I mean, so you see things, you know, like, the telework policies, which, you know, I had a ton of clients, but as crazy as it sounds, it's really something that started with the pandemic, but in my opinion, should have always been there. And a lot, yeah. And a lot of employers that were kind of what I'll call in the forefront of those things have them in place, you know, no, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, working caregivers themselves may have autoimmune diseases. They may not want to use public transportation. They may not, you know, be able to leave because a sibling, I have a friend whose young sibling died of COVID. So, you know, there are all these different things. So any other kind of legally sound, what I'm calling legally sound initiatives that you're seeing coming to the forefront now with working caregivers of the elderly specifically, or you think we've covered all those off? Well, I don't think we've covered everything. No, we could sit here for another six hours, I have a feeling, but we, (laughs) any other just like top of mind initiatives that you've been seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, top of mind, I mean, for employees, you know, I, I think that there's very much this idea of being your own advocate. And also recognizing when you need to be your own advocate. So I think it first starts with, oh, maybe I need to do something. So you need to recognize that, you know, listen, you can't take care of everything all the time, be a hundred percent, like what you were saying with the, you know, the juggling, it's not always easy. Sometimes you need to ask for help. Sometimes you need to figure out how to make this work. And then what do you envision and how can you make it work so you can take care of your parents and at the same time stay in the workforce? And so then I think you got to go and advocate for what you want. You know, right. what does that look like? Yeah. And, you know, I think for employers, they are a lot more receptive to this just because they've had to be. Yeah. I mean, so, Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Just thought it would have taken a hundred years, but then the one, one of the good things about COVID is like, nope. Um, yeah. Maybe for working it, caregivers, it did us in a kind of crazy way, a little bit of a favor. Um, yeah. It's the silver lining. I yeah. mean, I think there's, you know, when you, even in bad things, I mean, there are some good things that come out of it. From my perspective with the employer, it's you've seen a lot of very, not everyone's come through on the other side, but a lot of really resilient companies. And they've they've been resilient because they've learned how to pivot. They've learned how to make it work. They've seen that when they are flexible, that it still works. I mean, business still gets done. Yeah. So it, it's usual. so it's so interesting because I was, you know, to finish up, I was going to ask you what some of the key benefits that this, what I'm calling modified employment law, um, including maybe tailor-made agreements for employees have accomplished. So I'm hearing resilience and it's true. Employers have learned that they can be resilient um, and business is still flourishing, thriving, um, and they should give themselves a pat on the shoulder. Are there any other benefits 
in the workplace, both to the employer and the employee, that you can identify that this flexibility thing has engendered? You know, how about the obvious that it's better for the bottom line? It just is. I mean, we we know that these issues impact the employment space very negatively if they are left unchecked. Mm-hmm. And it looks like all sorts of things, you know, high rates of absenteeism, people just not following policies because maybe the policies aren't as fluid as they need them to be. And all of those things from a business perspective impact the bottom line. But how about there's a nifty idea. Why not adapt to that flexibility? Why not integrate that flexibility into something that works for everybody? Because Mm -hmm. there are always going to be things that we can't account for. But what about the few things that we know that we can? You know, what are those things that we have control of that ultimately are good for the bottom line? It's good to have a good workforce. It's what good to have yeah. happy employees, right? I, I think it is. Like one of the other things you haven't mentioned, um, I just wanted to, you know, I had read about it and I just thought, because I'm very psychology driven as well. One of the things that people have said, and I've certainly felt it myself, when I think back to this incredible boss that I had way back in the 90s, is this flexibility also a way to build empathy, not just for working caregivers, but for our community and society in general? We're not just rushing onto the subway or something and commuting and ignoring everyone. Is there something about the fabric of society that is going to maybe change if we do this flexibility thing right? I absolutely think so. I mean, let's talk about normalizing it, right? Let's talk about how it's not a stigma. It shouldn't be something that's stigmatized. It shouldn't be, oh, well, you know what? She takes care of her parents, so she doesn't work as hard as we do. Well, how do you know? Maybe she works 10 times as hard as you do because she never, you know, has time to stop working, whether it's taking care of her parents, getting all of her work done, et cetera. So, you know, I think that, you know, the more you talk about these things, the more that people are aware of them. And, you know, I love this idea of empathy because it's so, so true. I mean, I, I can even relate in my own world, even where I work, I have colleagues who are taking care of their parents and I wouldn't know that unless they talked about it. And the fact that they've talked about it and talked openly about it, I now am a little more empathetic because I think, oh my God, I couldn't even imagine having to take care of these things. And listening, you know, in in this one, you know, it happens to be, you know, one of my female partners listening to her vent about it. I'm sure on one level, she feels probably a little good to vent about the frustration of having to take care of her parents who are in their 80s. But also the fact that, you know, she knows she still needs to work and get everything else done. And what does it look like? But, you know, for a moment, she can talk about it. And she's actually doing you all a favor because she's kind of educating you if, you know, for other people who are not there, you know, back to that 30 year old manager. Well, you know what? Hopefully we all get old and we need to deal with it. Um, Jamie, I could sit here for another five hours. I'm not going to because I know you're busy. I'm so pleased that I got to speak to you. I 
I'm pleased that you agree with me. That we have an understanding. We agree that in order to attract and retain um, some of the best employees going forward, this flexibility in terms of employment law is going to be necessary. The need to cater to diverse employee segments is going to be is already um, more recognized and will continue to be. And I really love your recommendation. People have to advocate for themselves. I always teach my kids, if you don't ask, you don't guess. And I think you said that as well. And in the process, I think that this ability to ensure that empathy and resilience become core workplace pillars, I think does feel like something fresh. So that was very um, interesting. Thank you very much for being here. I do appreciate all the gems. Again, It's so good also to speak to a woman because in addition to the mum thing, the working caregiver thing often falls on us. And (laughs) and for our listeners to to hear more about caregiver camp programs, which are online and immersive, just, you know, one and a half or two days, please visit www.caregivercamps.com. Thank you very much again for your time. Thanks so much for joining us today. This is Debbie Howard. This is Tanya Krim. And I'm Jonathan Brody. We are the hosts of Caregiver Camps podcast. Please feel free to share our podcast and consider joining us for new perspectives in creating more productive, caregiver-friendly workplaces. Come visit us at caregivercamps.com to learn more about how we can help your company. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time at Caregiver Camps podcast.